All right. It's me again. Um, we are in the book of Genesis. Uh, this is week three. We're in a series in Genesis 1 to 11. We're still in chapter one. I promise after this week, we're going to get moving forward after that. So you can open back up again to page one in your Bible. But we've been ta- calling this series The Story of All Stories. It's the story that makes sense of every other story, the story that makes sense of the world and our lives, why the world is the way it is, why we are the way we are, what God is doing to make all things right. Genesis gets all the themes of the Bible started, and so if you want to understand the rest of the scriptures, it begins here. It tells us where we came from, our origin story. It tells us where we're going, our destiny, and when you know your origin, and when you know your destiny, it helps you get an understanding of your identity who you are today, and what that means, and what on earth are we here for. And today's text that we're going to narrow down on is really speaking specifically about that, your identity as a human being. It's actually, we're going to start to approach an answer to the question of, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? Now, visually, you can look around, and you can say, well, that's a human, and that's human, and there are physical traits that we can differentiate ourselves from other species, even if there are some traits that are similar to certain animals, you can say, well, that's a human. We can, we can tell that for sure. Artificial intelligence is making it harder to know if what you're reading was written by a human. I don't know if anyone's ever read any of the stuff that chat GDP is, is uh, putting together. It's, it's kind of fascinating what's going on. Um, the internet has trouble sometimes figuring out if you're a human. So it tells you like, hey, do you know what a fire hydrant is? Click the things, you know what I mean? Uh, Click this button to tell me you're not a robot. So I don't know why that tells them we're a human. But we're not just talking about the human creature, but what does it mean to be a human creature? What's the purpose of being a human creature? Why were we made? For what purpose? Why did God make us the way that we are? And if you ask the average person on the street that question, what does it mean to be human? You would get a ton of different responses. And, and a lot of the responses you'd get would be legitimate, truthful, honest responses that correlate with reality. But uh, there's a lot of different approaches to answer this question. Like there's biological answers about what it means to be human. The uniqueness of our genetic code or our physiology. There are chemical answers to this question. There's approximately 60 chemicals that make up the human body. There are sociological answers. How human beings interact with each other. And there are anthropological answers, how human societies and cultures work. And all of these are important issues. They all help answer the question, what it means to be human. But the opening pages of the Bible are mostly interested in the theological explanation of what it means to be human. What's God's intention for us? Why did he create us? What is our purpose for existence. And of course, that theological explanation will have implications on biology and chemistry and sociology and anthropology and other aspects of life. So all that to say is we're just scratching the surface on the broader question of what it means to be human, but hopefully we'll get a better understanding of the biblical theological answer. What does it mean to be human? So last week, we looked at the seven days of creation But we skimmed over uh, day six, which was the creation of human beings. And it gives us a lot of information about why God created us, for what purpose. So we're going to narrow down and slow down just to that one day of creation, day number six, where God created human beings. So let me read it again, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So I'm going to start by making just a bunch of observations, just information about the text, what it's saying, and then two big applications that I think help us answer what it means to be human and help us get a sense of our identity and our purpose in this world as God designed it. Observation one, uh, throughout creation, the creation account, we read this, uh, let there be, let there be, let there be. Right, God speaks and things come into existence, like a king making orders from the throne and he is obeyed. Everything just starts to happen. But as he creates humans here, it's a much more personal creative act. Instead of just pronouncing, let there be, God says, basically, I'm going to do something personal now. I'm actually going to get my hands in the mud. Actually, in Genesis 2, when it talks about the formation of humans, it really talks about the way God actually physically formed us. But, but here, it doesn't say, let there be humans. It says, let us make human beings. Not let there be, but let us make. So with the rest of creation, he's just giving commands. Now he's personally involving himself in the formation of a creature. And that should say something about our value in God's eyes, about his intention for us, that there's something personal and unique in a way in which we connect to and have God's eye on us that's different than the rest of the creatures. Second observation. When God created other living creatures, he said, let there be, for example, animals according to their kind. In other words, let birds be birds, let cows be cows, let dogs be dogs. But here God says, let us make humans in our image. Not just let humans be humans, but let's make humans in our image. That something about human beings reflects God's own nature. Something about us is unique as it relates to or, or as, it, as it contrasts to the rest of creation. Human beings would be a special kind of creature one that has a deeper connection to the divine than any other creature, and we'll see what that means in a bit. Third observation. When God creates the fish or the birds or the land creatures, the text doesn't take the time to mention that he made them male and female. Even though we know that land creatures and birds and fish have genders and they procreate and all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't mention that, but it specifically mentions with humans the emphasis, he made them male and female. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One, it shows us that the two genders are equally made in the image of God. God is not preferential with one gender or another, male or female. Male is not more in the image of God than female. Both male and female are made in the image of God. And secondly, gender was God's idea, and he values it. In, in the modern mind, we've created uh, this idea where we've actually split biological sex from gender. And so people say that you have your biological sex at birth, you have your male, your female, but gender is something different. It exists on a spectrum. And so there's a whole bunch of different ways to express that and, and describe that and different names. It's kind of like whatever you want, gender is kind of a, a free-for-all. But the Bible doesn't do that. It doesn't split up biological sex and gender. There are males and there are females, just the two options. And we don't need to be argumentative about that. We just 
tend to disagree with what a lot of people are saying. The truth is, and there is a correction for us though, how people express their God-given maleness or their God-given femaleness can vary. Too often we've stereotyped gender norms and we make people feel othered or different just because they don't perfectly fit into our cultural understanding, not our biblical understanding, our cultural understanding of what a male or female should act like. So we need a bit of a correction on there because sometimes people struggle with gender identity because they've been pushed to the margins of society because they might just be interested in things that we don't think are typically male or typically female. But the solution is not to split up the idea of sex and gender. God designed two compatible genders intentionally for us to work together, form community together, build families together, challenge each other, teach each other, and help each other fulfill our God-given mandate in this world, male and female. Finally, as far as the literature here, uh, you may have noticed something unique about the way God talks about himself when he's creating human beings. He says, let us make humans in our image to be like us. Without getting too deep into the details here, uh, the Bible has a lot of names for God. And it's just a way to describe his character and who he is and, and, and help us to understand him better. But there's also a gen- generic word that's used to talk about a God or gods. And the word that's used in uh, the first chapter of Genesis. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is just translated God anytime in the Bible. And it's just generic. Other times when the Bible talks about the gods of the nations, it talks about the Elohim of the nations. So Elohim then is actually a plural noun. And it's used to talk about one god or many gods. It's kind of like how uh, the English word moose works. You can talk about one moose or many moose. I always want to say mooses or meese, right? I don't get it, but you know, it's one moose or many moose, same word. Elohim kind of works the same way in the Hebrew Bible. So if you only read Genesis 1 and not the rest of the Bible, you might think that God is talking about many gods working together to create human beings in their image, or maybe he's talking about him and the angels working together to create humans in their image, but the rest of the Bible helps us interpret this understanding. When Elohim says, let us make humans in our image to be like us, not talking about a whole bunch of gods. He's not talking about getting angels involved in it. I think there's a couple reasons for this. First of all, since God creates two genders of humans, It's a statement about how it's only when men and women work together in unity that God's image is fully represented on earth, that we are made to partner together so that we can represent God together. No battle of the sexes, no disunity. We're supposed to work hard to build unity, whether it's in marriage or other types of relationships, so that together in a community, we can represent God in the world. But secondly, I think it also hints at the doctrine of the Trinity. It's not fully developed here, but it hints forward for us to recognize later as God is revealed in greater detail that God is one God, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three persons are involved intimately in the process of creation and in the process of creating human beings. If you want to get deeper into Trinity, uh, we, we did a teaching series in, I think it was November of 2021. We did a little bit more work there. So, those are some observations. But what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? The theological answer is this. 
You are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. As I described last week, the creation narrative is an account of God building a temple where he can dwell, where he can live with human beings. A temple is the place where God's presence dwells on earth so human beings can interact with him. So creation itself, or at least the land that God created in Eden, was supposed to be this temple where he could dwell with human beings. And, and there's some parallels to some other uh, creation accounts of other nations and other religions of the time. And, uh, but other religions, when they would make temples, what they would do at the end, once the temple was designed, they would create an image out of stone or clay or gold or wood, and they would put that statue of their god in the temple. And that statue was representing, that statue was the image of that god. So when you saw that image, you knew whose temple this was. But the twist in the Genesis account, the creation of God's temple, is that that image is not stone or wood or clay. That image is flesh and bone human beings. You are the image of God. You are placed in the center of the space where God wants to dwell. It's you and I. That's why Israel so many times was told, don't make graven images. Don't worship idols or images to represent me because you already have an image. It's you. So there was no image, there was no statue in God's temple because God's people were his representatives in the world. So what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, it doesn't mean necessarily that we look like God physically. Because we're made in the image of God doesn't mean God has arms and legs and ears and a big nose or whatever. That's not what it means necessarily. It, but some have said, well, maybe it means that we have like we're more than just material beings. Maybe it's because we have a spiritual nature, we have a soul. But actually, if you read through the Hebrew Bible, there's actually a few times where it talks about how God actually, uh, with the same language, the same words, God breathed life into animals. That They have the same sort of uh, life kind of power in them that would be called a soul. So it's not necessarily that we have a soul that makes us different from the rest of creation. What does it mean to be uniquely made in the image of God? And for the rest of our time, I want to talk about two very specific things that it means to be an image bearer. Number one, you represent God. You are God's representative. Uh, LeBron James, the NBA superstar, forward for the Los Angeles Lakers, in 2015 signed a contract with Nike, the sports company, and it pays him $32 million a year to represent the company. That $32 million is on top of the salary he gets from his team and any other endorsements he gets. $32 million a year, and it's a lifetime deal. In exchange, LeBron wears Nike apparel. He puts Nike shoes on when he plays. He stars in Nike commercials and generally acts as an ambassador and a representative for the company. Basically, this is what LeBron is being paid for. Nike wants people to say, if you want to know what Nike is all about... Look at LeBron James. He is the image of Nike. And of course, he literally wears the image of Nike on his clothes, the classic swoosh you would see. So in a similar way, humans bear God's image. LeBron James is the image of Nike. He represents that brand. But you are the brand ambassador of God. You have his mark on you. You walk around this world representing him as his image. Or another example it was more common in the ancient world, but you see it even in Canada. 
And one example is this. In 1992, uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, the Queen Elizabeth Equestrian Monument was erected on Capitol Hill in Ottawa. And here's a picture of the late Liz. There she is on a horse. Okay, now to be clear, this is not actually Queen Elizabeth. Like, you get that, right? This is not actually her. This is an image of Queen Elizabeth. It represents her, and it represents her rule. It's been common throughout history for rulers to build statues of themselves throughout their empires. The Caesars, the Russian Tsars, Napoleon, English monarchs. Why do they do this? Well, a monarch like the late Liz is limited to time and space. She can only be in one place at one time, but has a big empire. And so she wanted to put up statues as a reminder of who the boss is, who's in charge, who is the sovereign over this empire. It's a sign, a statue is a sign of the king or queen's presence and power over their subjects. This could be one of the reasons why it's popular for people to tear down statues and monuments because they look at this symbol of someone's power and authority and they're like, we don't like that person. We don't like what they stood for. We disagree. So we're going to get rid of this reminder of who they are and what they stood for. So you are meant to be a reminder to the rest of creation who the king of creation is. You're a living monument to God's reign in this world. And our king takes it very seriously when someone wants to do damage to or tear down one of his images. That's why murder made the top 10, right? You shall not murder because those are my image bearers. The, the idea of humans being made in the image of God is the foundation for so many human rights that were born out of the Judeo-Christian ethic, that were unique to our understanding of reality, our understanding of human beings, which has really transformed the world's understanding of human ethics. And it starts with this. You are God's representative. You have value in that. You are made in his image. This is another reason why another one of the top 10 says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Because the question is this, you're God's representative, so are you representing him well? When you go out into the world, is the world actually reminded of God's good and gracious rule? Is the world actually reminded of, of the character of God and the nature of who he truly is? Or are we misrepresenting God? To take the Lord's name in vain is not just about using his name in swears, but to actually, the language is to pick up the Lord's name. It's like putting on the Nike shirt and then actually living out the values of Reebok or Adidas. All right? Isaiah actually lamented that the nations blasphemed God, not because of who God was, but because how God was represented to them by God's image bearers. How do we represent him if we truly are bearers of his image? Secondly, what it means to be a, the bearer of God's image, you are made to reign. You are made to reign. King Charles, if we're sticking with the English monarchy, uh, he's now taken over the throne from the late Queen Elizabeth. And he knew from a young age that was his, uh, I, that, that was his heritage, that was his destiny, that's, that's what he was supposed to do. He was the firstborn son, which is not just a matter of him being born first, but it's actually a title. It's a position in the family, which means he would be the heir to the throne. And as a consequence, he has spent his life preparing for this vocation. Everything he did, every way he acted, all of his education, everything was to prepare him to take his place one day as king. 
And now his son, William, Prince William, is preparing for his own time on the throne. Both these men knew and know what their purpose in life is, and it has shaped everything they've done, all their behavior and all their attitudes preparing for that moment when they would ascend the throne. Your destiny, similarly, is to reign. Did you know that? Your destiny is to reign. Listen to the language in the text, Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them, the, the man and woman, and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Listen to that language. Govern the earth. Reign over creation. And it's connected to this idea of being blessed. Being blessed. Uh, I told you all the themes of the Bible start in Genesis, and the theme of being blessed is a dominant theme throughout all of Genesis. If you want to know what the rest of the Bible means when it says blessed, read Genesis and pay attention. There's at least 70 times where blessed, blessed, or blessing shows up in Genesis and gives us some information about what we're supposed to do with that word. So blessing comes with, here it says, fruitfulness and multiplication, not unique to humans because the fish and the birds were told to be fruitful and multiply. But the unique aspect of our blessing is this idea of governance and reigning over creation. So more than anything else, I think this is the unique element of what it means to be made in the image of God. God is the king, but he has set up representatives. He set up vice regents to reign in his stead. He governs the universe and he says, I'm giving earth to you. You guys are in charge. Rule well. Now, here's the issue. How's it going for us? We haven't done the best job of taking care of this place, representing God's goodness and grace and, and mercy and sovereignty in the world. We always mess it up. But it's no question that humans have an incredible amount of power, opportunity, authority. So much of how we're designed gives us that, that ability to reign over and to be in charge of the rest of creation. But we constantly use our authority and our power to be abusive, to be selfish, to just to uh, build our, ourselves a kingdom and position ourselves well at the detriment of creation instead of serving and blessing and make the rest of creation a better place. We use authority abusively and selfishly in all areas from thrones to Parliament Hill to C-suites to churches. Human leaders are broken and we miss the mark all the time. When we get to Genesis 3 in a couple weeks, we'll see what happened here. What happened was a creature who we were supposed to rule over, deceived us, and in the process, the authority structure of creation got inverted. And a creature became ruler for a moment at least. And you see it, you know, we'll talk about that later. We, you see how this kind of messes up the whole system and humans abdicated and gave up their right and their authority to rule. And that's when sin entered the world and messed everything up. But it doesn't mean we don't still have the blessing of God. But as that blessing gets passed down through history, we keep messing up. And even the best of the best kings and rulers, men like King David, an amazing ruler, still had epic, epic failures. How do we fix this problem? How do we reestablish ourselves into the place where we can rule well? We needed a human. We needed an image bearer to show us what it truly means to represent God and to show us what it truly means to govern and rule in a way that reflects God's own goodness and rulership over the world. 
And over thousands of years, we had plenty of total disasters as we waited for this one to come. So what did God do? He didn't give up on the project of having his image bearers rule the world. Instead, he showed us how it's done himself. He put on flesh. The one member of that us and our of the Trinity of Elohim entered into human existence. God became man, and listen how the New Testament authors describe him. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What's this saying? When you look at Jesus, you see God. When you look at Jesus, you see what we were meant to be as image bearers of God. You see the original intent of what a human being should really look like, and at the same time, you see God himself represented perfectly in this world. Notice something that's subtle but important. It says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of God's being. It's not the same language as Genesis 1. The language of Genesis 1 is that God created humans in the image of God, but here Jesus is the image of God, which is a clear claim to Jesus' own divinity. So the image we were designed to reflect is actually Jesus himself. And the New Testament authors pick up on this. Romans 8.29 says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined. There's that language of destiny. To, con- to be conformed into the image of his son. I thought we were supposed to be in the image of God. Exactly. Same guy. Jesus is that image that we are made to reflect and be conformed to. So here's what this means practically. If you want to know what it means to be human, if you want to know what it means to live out your own vo- vocation as an image bearer, If you want to know what God is like and how to represent him, you look at Jesus. He'll show you how it's done. Jesus came to do many things, but one of the things he came to do was to restore us into the image of God. It's one of the reasons why he was a healer. It represented more than just a healing of the physical body. It was a symbol that Jesus was restoring the image. He was transforming us, healing us to make us once again into the people God had designed us to be. Many people over history, kings and rulers, have actually used titles like this. that They've they've claimed, I am God in the flesh. I am the image of God. But they've used it abusively to gain authority and power over others so that they could gain position for themselves. You can't question my words. They're the words of God. You can't question me or, 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 or put me off because I'm God in the flesh. But they use it to gain power. The Caesars claim to be God in the flesh. But that's not how Jesus rules. If you want to know what it means to represent God and to rule, you look at Jesus. And Jesus, in the clearest terms, told us what it looks like to rule and represent God. Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is how Jesus rules the world. Jesus was coronated on the cross. That's how he exercised his authority and his rulership over us. Jesus came not to dominate, but to bless and to serve. He shows us what it means to truly bear God's image in the world, to see what God is like. God serves and sacrifices and loves and blesses. If you're looking on guidance for what it means to be human, look to Jesus. Look at his way of love and service and sacrifice, his way of giving up power in order to empower others, his way of bearing the burdens of others in order to liberate and heal, not putting burdens on others for his own elevation. Jesus is not Caesar. He's not Charlemagne. He's not even Queen Elizabeth. He's not just an image of God. He's the image of God. There's an incredible passage that I, I want to close with in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. You can open up there or follow on screen in a minute. And um, it kind of says everything that I've been saying today. But uh, just, just quickly before I get into it, I'm, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which kind of smooths this, this challenge out. But the language it uses in a couple places is that Jesus is the firstborn over creation. And I just wanted to quickly comment on that because it's a, it's a metaphor that we misunderstand as, you know, some people interpret that and say, well, Jesus was like the first creation. But if you read the rest of the passage, you see that that's not what it is. It's actually a metaphor for his title. Like King Charles, sure, he was born first, but it's also his title. He was the firstborn, which means he's the heir to the throne, which means that everything is for him. And it's the same with Jesus. The idea of firstborn is title, not order of when he existed, because he existed before all things. But just listen closely to what this passage says about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You want to know what it means to be human? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You know, we have this saying, when we mess up or we fail or we do something silly, we say, ah, I'm only human. And we say that because like, we recognize that the human condition is weakness and we mess things up and we sin and we fail. 
And so there's, there's a truth in that statement, but it's also completely untrue at the same time. Because when I read the Bible about what a human is supposed to look like, it's supposed to look like Jesus. But something happened and something broke. So the state we're in apart from Jesus is actually less than human. But Jesus comes to restore our humanity. Because we were made to be glorious. We were made to be incredible. We were made for so much more than we could imagine because we don't see it through the shroud of sin. But Jesus comes back to reconnect us to our divine purpose. Not to hold authority over others and oppress others, but to serve and to make this to make this world all that it can be as we rule and govern lovingly in community, representing God by his spirit. Sure, when we mess up, sure, we can say we're only human. But I want Jesus to actually give me back my humanity. To actually be renewed and conformed, as Romans 8 says, to conformed into the image of Jesus, to become more and more like him, to become truly human that God will dwell in this world through me and the world will be blessed through me and through you and through his church as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to restore us to our humanity, to restore us to all that you have created us to be. Lord, we repent of our sin and ask you, Lord Jesus, to come shape us, transform us in our positions of authority, in our positions of influence, Lord God. We don't want to continue to use those places of authority for our own benefit and our own gain only, Lord God, to oppress others in order to benefit ourselves. But Lord, help us like Jesus to serve and sacrifice, Lord, for the good of others so that all human beings can experience your goodness and your life and your blessing. Lord, thank you that you made us not just as individual image bearers, but to do this together, Lord. And you've done this. You've, you've set, up, set up your church so that we together can be the body of Christ, the representative of Jesus, the image of God here on earth. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us. Heal us. Strengthen us so that we can truly be all who you have called us to be. So Lord Jesus, if there's anybody here who has a sense of they have no value or purpose, they feel like they've lost their dignity. They feel like they have no, uh, no, no worth in this world, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would renew their mind and help them to see how beautiful and wonderfully made they are. We are fearfully and wonderfully made to be bearers of your image, Lord God. Transform us, heal us, empower us, and send us out as your representatives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close? Our prayer team's going to come. If you want someone to minister to you, or if you have a need, or if you have a friend who has a need and you want to pray for them, someone would love to join you in that as we close. The band's going to play a song. And the language in this song is, is a language of identity. It's language of God speaking identity over us. Sometimes we have people say things about us or we feel things about ourselves that are just not true. But your identity is based on what God says about you, your creator who made you to bear his image. He desires to speak life over your identity today so you can walk in purpose and dignity each day. Let's sing together. <laughs>